Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. All right. Welcome in and uh, let's celebrate what is supposed to be an early spring. I don't know if you if you put any stock in a groundhog forecasting the weather, but I imagine their success rate might be at least on par with some local meteorologist. Forty percent is what he is. Hey, you know, think about that. If you're if you're a major league baseball star and you're batting four hundred, you're an all star. You're making it to July, baby. Hasn't to been the all star game. Ted Williams. I know. Forty percent is pretty good when you think about it. Four out of ten times they're right. I mean, come on. Any anywhere else, uh, any major sport, you're a, you're an all star if, if you're doing that. I don't know. Um, they, they, he did forecast an early spring for what that's worth. I just thought I'd let you know that happened uh, within the uh, last hour in case you're wondering uh, this morning. Maybe you're not. I don't know. Uh, we got a lot going on, lots to get to. If you missed it, uh, former Missouri Senator Bob Onder announced live on the air here this morning on 97.1. He is running officially for Congressional District Number 3 to replace uh, Blaine Lutkemeyer, who opted not to run for re-election. So he made that announcement. You can hit rewind on the Odyssey app. You can go out to social media, Twitter and Facebook, uh, uh, 971talk.com. We've got uh, that audio listed up there for you. You can hear what he's hoping to do uh, when he gets to D.C. Coming up, we're going to get to Jim Carafano. Uh, we've, uh, we'll talk to him about Lloyd Austin, maybe, who you'll hear from here in just a minute. And... Um, what do you think if you're if you're a landlord? I know Kim, uh, you you know some people in your family, and you guys have have owned some properties that you rent. How would you like the local municipality to to tell you, hey, you know what? You happen to have a tenant who has an electric vehicle. You have to put in a five thousand dollar charging station so they they can charge their car at home quickly. Oh, I'd be fuming. Thank you, would. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Everybody would, I think. Uh, but believe it or not, they can get away with that right now. There's an effort in Jeff City, I believe, to to stop that nonsense. Uh, and we're going to check in on that with Avery Frank coming up at about 735. Um, and, and, and the reasons why that should not be a thing, uh, among others, right? We're going to get to all that right after the short list. The Mark Cox Short List. It's not about secession. Nobody's going to do that. That's not what people are talking about. What they are talking about is why isn't the president there keeping Texans safe? Why was this a controversy yesterday? Can somebody tell me that Nikki Haley had to go out and clarify her answer on whether or not she thinks Texas would have a right to secede from the union if they chose to? Everyone voted for a black man with unassailable character. They felt otherized threatened. and they just threatened and they decided that Trump was their messiah. Did you that was breaking news to me. Did you know that Barack Obama had unassailable character? I learned something on the view yesterday. It's amazing. We did not handle this right and I did not handle this right. I should have told the president about my cancer diagnosis. I should have also told my team and the American public. What if you just cut that off after his first sentence? 
I didn't handle this right. Now imagine we were discussing a nuclear war instead of telling the president that you were going in for cancer surgery. So you guys keep lying. I would gladly leave. I would gladly leave. Thank I said you. my piece. I'm not Thank a coward. Well, when good. this all comes to a head, I will be proud of what I did. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Had you have you heard this audio, Kim Sainanj? I don't know if you have or not. Mm-mm. I selected it for the uh, for the audio list this morning uh, because this is this is what you're going to face in the future in the new America. That's with a K. Just so you know, your your free speech is now dead because uh, progressives on the left can decide what you can and cannot say. Uh, out of fear of offending another human being. This lady you were listening to there is a resident of the state of Colorado, right? And uh, she was in front of her council complaining about transgender issues, and she misgendered someone, right? She made the mistake of calling someone who was a he a she. And these council members decided they were going to have her removed from the chamber. Now, she did utter a curse word in the in the uh, moments leading up to it, but the reason they were already talking about removing her was because she repeatedly misgendered someone who identified differently. Listen to uh, listen to this audio. Cut ten, please. We're done. But I can no. I can get up here and no. lie about no. reality. About reality. These people are lying. You know what? Trans is not you can trans. There is no such thing as trans. What I'm going to ask you. This is a mental ma'am. problem. Ma'am. And women and children ma'am. are suffering because of it. Ma'am. And you all know I'm right. Ma'am. And you're all cowards. Excuse me. That's what I'm saying. You're all a bunch of cowards right. because you know that sex is real and gender okay. is nothing. Okay. And you lie. And women and children are being hurt. So you guys keep lying. I would gladly leave. I would gladly leave. Thank I said you. my piece. I'm not Thank a coward. Well, when good. this all comes to a head, I will be proud of where I did it. Thank you very much. When this all comes to a head, I'll be proud of where I've stood on all of this. Right? Yeah, this is, this is the future. Right? They're doing it in local school districts where they can get away with it. They're doing it... Um, in in a, on elected boards where they can get away with it. I mean, I'll be honest. If somebody if somebody were to tell me I'm a woman but I identify as a man, I'd like you to call me him. I, I don't support that. I'm gonna find. I'm I'm just not. I mean, to be totally frank with you, I don't really want to honor. It, it's not. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you, but I'm also not going to compromise my values. That is very important to me, and anybody who knows me knows how I landed this job. I am not willing to compromise on my values, mm-hmm. and I would probably just find a way to say the person's first name without having to say he or she. Here, here's the thing that that most people who who are not students of history don't seem to understand. And you're you're free to go back and read the Constitution and the amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. You do not have a right to not be offended. It's not in there. I challenge you to go find me a place in the Constitution where it says you have a right uh, to not be offended. Those words aren't in there. I, I'm sorry that your feelings got hurt. Um, but I, this lady's exactly right. 
There was a medical study out that we uh, were going to discuss yesterday that was posted in an online medical journal where it, did, it talks about the frequency of personality disorders in patients with gender identity. And what the researchers determined at the end of this was uh, it revealed that the prevalence of personality disorders was higher among these folks in that when it came to treatment, oftentimes the treatment needed to probably focus on mental health first before dealing with whatever the gender problem was, right? How is that not a thing? Listen to this. They determined that the most frequent personality disorder, and 81% of the people who identified as trans uh, were were determined to have some sort of a personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder was the was the most frequent and the average number of diagnoses was three per patient so yeah let's deal with that side of it first before we start allowing uh, teenagers and others to go around and either change their pronouns or start chopping things off uh, how about that that's that's a little bit of common sense applied to the situation hey Jim Carafano is coming up I want to ask him more about uh, Lloyd Austin and uh, maybe uh, what's going on with the, these drone strikes were our own drones used against us maybe drones left behind in Afghanistan I I, I don't know let's talk to Jim about it when we come back Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We did not handle this right, and I did not handle this right. I should have told the president about my cancer diagnosis. I should have also told my team and the American public. And I take full responsibility. I apologize to my teammates and to the American people. Now, I want to make it very clear that there were no gaps in authorities and no risk to the department's command and control. At every moment, either I or the Deputy Secretary was in full charge. You know, I was born in the South. South Bronx. All right, Jim Carafano on the line with us. Uh, Jim, that was Lloyd Austin there. I know he's a civilian these days, but wouldn't that normally be referred to as going AWOL? Uh, So, look, I have some comforting news for you. If, If Joe Biden was not physically and mentally infirm, he would still be a terrible president. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but what that what that means is, look, um, rather than having a team around him to prop him up, you know, he, has, he actually has six people who follow him around all day, and their job is to make sure he doesn't get lost or hurt himself. They're called the fall guys. I'm not joking. This is for real. So you would think that if people really loved and cared about their country – and maybe somehow they didn't know the guy was a declining Yahoo when they put him in office. They would surround him with the most competent, responsible people they could find. And here we have a man who served an entire military career uh, and, and did something that a second lieutenant wouldn't do. 
I mean, he, when you say those words, I take full responsibility. That, in, what a real professional would do is at that point, they would have resigned because they had failed to demonstrate the competence to be in office. They yes. wouldn't just say, I take full responsibility and then go back to basically taking orders from Chauncey Gardner and, and running, you know, running the national security of the United States into the ground. What if the drone strike had happened that day? Uh, look, I, I, I don't doubt that the, the command authority was, was, was fine. But, but the point is, is he hid this. The, they, they hid things yeah. from the American people, the kinds of things that people are supposed to know. This is a complete violation of the trust of the American people and the transparency that responsible public officials are supposed to deliver. I'm with you. I wanted to ask you about Ron DeSantis sending the Florida National Guard to help with the border crisis in Texas. I know uh, our governor, Missouri's governor, Mike Parsons, going to Texas this weekend to meet with other Republican governors to talk about what's going on there. What should some of these other states like Missouri, for example, be doing? I mean, do we need to be looking at sending our National Guard? What do you think needs to be done there? Well, as somebody you know, who's dealt with these issues for like decades, a perfectly legal uh, and perfectly appropriate. It happens all the time that uh, that governors lend forces to other governors to help out. This is normally done through something called a memorandum of understanding, but um, you don't you don't actually have to have a formal document to do that. Uh, if you look, for example, at Katrina, you know the devastation in Louisiana. Many states sent their not just their um, uh, national guard. Some of them sent their their state defense forces because you know states can have multiple militias. And many of them have their unarmed militias, but they they help deal with uh, disaster response and stuff like that. So for other states to jump in and help another state, perfectly legal, perfectly appropriate, plenty of precedent for that. And clearly, here's a situation where the state is bearing the brunt of enormous issues in public safety and other things where they where they do need help. You know, Jim, um, on this drone strike, back to that drone strike again, uh, how smart is it for us to be telegraphing? I mean, I, I heard the Secretary of State out telegraphing when we might strike and and basically the forms that that might take. And I know we're going to do it on our own time and when we think it's appropriate, but why would we not just tell them, stand by, you'll be surprised? Why, why are we telegraphing this response? Oh, it's, a, it's an ultimate sign of weakness. You know, just like when they said, well, we're not really interested in attacking Iran. So what do the Iranians do? You know, in tennis, the thing where you lob the ball across and then, you know, and then Venus Williams, you just smacks it into your face, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we go, well, we're not actually going to attack Iran, right? And, and we're telegraphing them that, you know, we're not going to threaten the regime. And so what do they do? They come out and they start with it. Well, if they attack us or that, we will crush them. It's like a total, like, give me like a propaganda give me to the Iranians, they can, you know, bolster and puff up their chest and look tough because they know the United States isn't actually going to do anything. That's going to hurt them. It's kind of wacky, crazy kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know what to do. And, and I mean, now I we need to get your your national security expertise on on uh, Punxsutawney Phil, who apparently is telling us we're going to have an early spring. Do you feel better? Um, it's just an animal. <laughs> and it. And it doesn't really know. And and even though PETA wants to replace it with a coin toss, yes, which, which scientifically I'm with, I'm with that, but I 
I think it's I think it's a cute little thing. It's probably the the best cared for little animal in the world. So um, it, it brings a lot of money into a little town in Pennsylvania for a day. It was a great movie with Bill Murray. So, um, but uh, yeah, we we can do better. But here's the deal, I, and I'm being honest with you. I really say this in all seriousness because you know I'm a serious person. Poxitani Phil could make better national security decisions than Joe Biden. <laughs> Could not agree more. <laughs> Jim, have a great weekend, buddy. Thanks, man. All right, we'll see you later. Jim Carafano, heritage.org uh, is the website. And uh, he's right. He's right about it. That's frightening, isn't it? Woo! Little whistle pig in charge of national defense. That's scary. Coming up, we'll talk about how you might be forced, if you're a, a, a landlord, to put an EV charger in your house contains incentives to make it more affordable to buy an electric vehicle, up to a $12,500 discount, in effect, for families thinking about getting an EV. Uh, families that, once they own that electric vehicle, will never have to worry about gas prices again. The people who stand to benefit most from owning an EV are often rural residents uh, who have the longest distances to drive. They, they burn the most gas. And underserved urban residents in areas where uh, uh, there are uh, high gas prices and they're lower income. So they would... I, I don't know about you, but I know that passing through lower-income areas, I see a lot of $70,000 EVs sitting in driveways, don't Lots you? Lots of Teslas. Just everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're, they're all over the place. But that would make the most sense. Like, if you live on a farm in the middle of nowhere, you, of course, would should have an electric car because you travel long distances with no place to charge them. Wait a minute. Maybe that's not the smartest advice I've ever heard. But it is coming from Pothole Pete, our transportation secretary, so it must be right. <clears throat> All right, the whole EV debate, uh, you know where I stand on it. But how would you feel if you were a landlord being told by your local city that you had to install an EV charger for your tenant because they did go buy an EV? They've tried that around here. Can I just tell you that? We have Avery Frank on the phone right now, and uh, great to get Avery on here, policy analyst with the Show Me Institute. Avery, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I feel truly blessed and honored to be on today. Well, it's good to have you here. I, you know, what, what is, what about House Bill fifteen eleven? Is that, is that the, uh, the savior bill here that's supposed to protect landlords from nonsense like that? Yeah, so right now, no, it's crazy to even say that. So St. Louis City and St. Louis County, a few other municipalities in the area, they have these electric vehicle charging mandates that. Anytime you have new construction or make a major innovation, that the businesses have to install, maintain, and operate a certain amount of electric vehicle chargers and pay for them with their own money. It's like, how do they get away with that? And what this bill would do is it wouldn't stop those mandates from happening in the first place, but it would at least make the government have to pay for the forcibly created electric vehicle chargers. Oh, good. So they could mandate that. That the business installed them. Like I saw one one thing they did in St. Louis County. They said, for example, if you're a business and you repave your your parking lot, then that triggers the fact that you have to install electric uh, chargers in it. And I think they did away with that. I don't think that ever became law. But uh, that's a good example of it, right? In, in this case, the government would have to pay that cost. Yes, they would have to pay that cost. And there was a big battle when they first passed this bill. Originally, there was no exclusions for, like, it was all businesses. But as you can rightfully, you know, imagine, everyone was like, no, I'm, I'm, I got 10 parking spots. I've never had an EV pull in here. I'm like, a, I'm not going to install these $5,000 charging stations. 
when we're probably going to have to even replace them later because they're not very good right now. Avery, this is Kim. I would imagine that some of these businesses or landlords have already had to do follow this ridiculous mandate. I mean, what about those people who have already done this or they're in the process of doing it? Do they get reimbursement, do we know, from the government if this bill would or pass? You know, I don't know if it says that in the bill, but I think, you know, they definitely should because but it would be hard to prove whether you did it on your own dime or if the government forced you to. And that's, you know, that's part of the big issue, though, is that people as the EV market, if if it grows, that they will make the economic decision to install these, to attract to attract consumers, to attract tenants. But the government putting its hand in this, trying to manipulate a market it shouldn't, that's growing on its own, they, sh- they just have no place doing this. Yeah, my assumption is the government didn't force people to put in gasoline stations when, when <laughs> internal combustion engines came about all those years ago. They were put in because people saw an opportunity to provide a service and make a profit. Um, yep. EV chargers are a different beast. But I lo- what I love about your article here uh, that you posted up on the Show Me Institute website is the question about whether or not this is even the future. The assumption on the left is we're going to be all electric in a few years. You might as well just get on board. And your point is that that is not a foregone conclusion. No, it's really not. For one, you know, just looking at the current state of the electric vehicle, you know, these batteries, they weigh like 2,000 pounds and they have like 138 pounds of lithium. It's like with all this like geopolitical battles, like are we going to even be able to make a fleet with all those materials, like electric vehicles are only 1% of cars on the road. How much lithium are we going to have to use if they ever got up to 50%? Like, we're going to have to figure out that problem. And, I mean, electric vehicles have a number of other problems. You know, you think, wow, why are all these electric vehicles in California? They're in California because it's warm. You know, electric vehicles, they have to generate heat for your heater when it's negative 2 degrees in St. Louis from their own battery power, which greatly reduces, you know, your range and your battery life. And that's a big issue that they have. It's like these electric vehicles, they're banking on this electric vehicle of the present being the car of the future. And that's just, it's not a safe bet. And it's really wasteful to use taxpayer funds to pay for these things. So, so I mean, speculating here, what's, what's the option? Uh, uh, I mean, just uh, Hydrogen? I mean, what, what are we looking at here that, that might – because the left is not going to give up on this. If it's, if it's not EVs, no, they're, they're going to have to hook their bus to something else. So hydrogen fuel cell cars are you – know, there's some talk that it could maybe do better. But I think also you – know, I, I do think electric vehicles, probably, their batteries are probably going to get better, and their chargers are probably going to get better. It's like – a level two charger right now takes about four to 10 hours to charge your car from zero to 80%, which is like horrible. No wow. one wants to use one of those. I mean, no. we, and, saw, we saw what happened yeah. in Chicago. Remember when it was brutally cold a few weeks ago and all the Teslas were not really charging? <laughs> so so what, what would, seeing something like that, what would make you want to get one? I, I, wasn't it Mark Ford or something was stopping production of if it's EV truck? Yeah, they were cutting back, cutting on, the, back. on the F-150 EV, right? I haven't seen a lot about that, but that wouldn't surprise me because it just there's a lot of issues that surround these EVs. You know, there there's some good benefits, but the market needs to figure out some issues that they have, and the government shouldn't be trying to push not a good product on us. No, they they shouldn't. And to to your point here, you you cited a survey in here that pointed out that only four percent of EV users report using one of those level two chargers, which takes 
like you said, up to 10 hours to charge the car. I mean, imagine having if if every every stop at the at the gas station <laughs> took you three hours, you, yeah, I you know. couldn't get anywhere. And also think about just charging have like refueling habits of yeah. citizens. So about I looked at a survey about sixty percent, including myself, if I was in this survey, of people refill their tank when it's low and it's convenient for them. So it's like, oh, I'm low on gas and I'm on my way home, so I'll get my gas. And I don't see how they think, you know, that's going to ch- those habits are going to change with the electric vehicle charger. The most convenient place for you to charge it is in your house. You don't need to stop on your errands and do everything, go out of the way to ch- stop at an electric vehicle charger. People don't want to do that. And I think that, sh- that shows when 67% of people have rarely or never used an elect- public electric vehicle charger. It's like it's not necessary. They don't want to use them. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, you can't. You can't fill it up just when it's convenient because you only recharge it when it's low, right, or lower. Mm-hmm. There's not that capacity uh, in there to do that. So uh, great point. Avery, uh, thank you for your time this morning, and I'll uh, direct people to uh, showmeinstitute.org <laughs> to read more on your uh, your thoughts there. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You bet. Avery Frank, a policy analyst with the Show Me Institute. You never know when there's going to be an emergency, and you hope that your tank is filled up enough that you wouldn't have to stop before. You maybe had to go to the hospital, but think if you had an EV, and you're like, first of all, let me find a charging station at the Walmart or wherever, and let me spend three hours charging it. I guess you'd call 911 at that point. Huh? Well, I hope so. I guess, uh, yeah, and hope that the police department had not gone woke and turned over to EVs. Well, you hope you're also not in the city of St. Louis because they're saying that the 911 operators are so so short-staffed they're not picking up and they're just hanging up on you. Again? Well, it's been an ongoing problem. I know they're hiring more, but it's still an issue to my knowledge. Wow. Coming up, we're going to talk to Cheryl Chumley. She works for the Washington Times talking about uh, this border issue and how Joe Biden is asleep at the wheel. Plus, Ryan Wiggins and our friend Anna Bowman uh, jumping in here to tell us what's on the web about 845. We'll be right back. It's not targeting anybody. It's just we got to recognize what's the fact, okay? You're born one way or another. There's only two, okay? You know, I, I get this, like, thing where people say, like, you know, you have a baby and it's like a gender assigned at birth. No, 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 no. I mean, God's been doing this a while, okay? It's either one or the other, and that's just what it is. Thank you, uh, Ron DeSantis. There's my favorite governor right there. Back doing what he does best. So happy to hear that. Meanwhile, the former governor of South Kakalaki, uh, South Carolina, is uh, out there now claiming, I'm not going anywhere. I've now decided that I'm going to go back on my word and tell you that if, that if, um, even if I don't do well in South Carolina, I'm still sticking around on Super Tuesday. And you know why? Because she was told by her deep state minions that that's what she's going to do. They are desperate, desperate for her to gain ground in this race. And, folks, it's not happening. Go go, go to Real Clear Politics. There, there's an article on Real Clear Politics yesterday uh, by Byron York, and I, I tried desperately to print it out this morning, and and um, my my printer here at work is failing me because it did not print this morning. But thirty-five there, minutes, Mark. It'll be fixed in thirty-five minutes. I hear you, Carl. Uh, there, I don't believe that. There's an article uh, that was on um, 
on there yesterday from Real Clear Politics from Byron York saying the truth about what's going on in in the South Carolina primary. You're being told by the media. I mean, I see Fox News on here uh, doing it all the time. You know, Nikki Haley is still in this thing. They'll say, and and um, you need to uh, you you know you need to pay attention to this because uh, this is she still got a chance. I mean, the mainstream media desperately wants her to still have a chance. And she's still flush with cash right now because the establishment wants her to have a chance. But at the end of the day, the last poll showed Donald Trump with a 20-point lead in South Carolina. If Nikki Haley eats into that at, let's say she even eats into 5% of it um, before they vote at the end of this month, even if she just beats into it 5%, the race is over. It's over. She's going to get killed on on Super Tuesday. Uh, that's what's going to happen. And I just don't get that. Now, that's one of the problems we have is that that um, the, the misinformation that is fueling this effort by Nikki Haley because of all the people – uh, even on the Republican side and certainly in the establishment who who hate Donald Trump, right? Here's the other problem. Did you see the report on the FEC, the Federal Election Commission records uh, for for extravagant spending by the RNC? I mean, what in the hell is going on up there? The latest financial scrutiny drawing from FEC records compares the RNC spending to that of the DNC from October 20th of 2022 to November 30th of 2023. The results are a stark contrast in financial priorities. Now, it may be the Democrats just don't care, but in that 12-month period, Kim St. Ange, the, the Democratic National Committee spent $795 on floral arrangements. You want to guess how much the... Uh, the Republicans spent. Let's hear it. Seventy thousand. Oh my gosh. Three hundred and twenty-eight dollars on floral arrangements. How about on consultants? In that time period, the DNC reported spending one hundred fourteen thousand dollars on consultants. The RNC spent a million dollars on consultants. Uh, on limousines, how many? How much did the DNC spend on limousines in that one-year period? $7,000. That might seem a little outrageous. I don't know what it costs to rent a limo these days. Meanwhile, the Republican National Committee spent $263,000 on limousines. That's ridiculous. Like private car service, yeah. right? Um, voter file maintenance. That might be important. The Republicans spent $39,000 in that one-year period on voter file maintenance. The Democrats spent $240,000 in that same period. 200,000 more. Sounds like our priorities are backwards. It does, and it scares the living hell out of me about what's going to happen later this year uh, if they if if that's true. I mean, that's that's red state uh, report there from FEC records. So I have no reason to think it's not. All right, coming up we'll talk to Cheryl uh, Shumley on this border issue. Governor Parsons going down there. What's Joe Biden doing? Get more at 971talk.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.